it's good to see you. It's great to see faces. Thanks for the lights. Pico, I can actually see the faces tonight. <laughs> it's so good to be able to worship together. We want to welcome you into this nice, cool place, but we want to really welcome you into the presence of the Lord. Hasn't this been great, being able to worship together in this nice, cool spot outside of the heat of the day? We want to also welcome our online friends and those that are uh, joining us from abroad. Maybe you're joining us from Israel. We know that you are part of our family in this land and watching us online. You're welcome here. And those of you that are joining us from around the world, we are honored to be able to worship together with you tonight. Well, we want to just remind you as we step into tonight's message, we want to continue that uh, frame, that attitude of worship. We want to just remind you that our senior leader, Pastor Chad, is uh, on an extended leave. He left a few months ago. He's doing some traveling for the ministry, connecting with our partners, and he's been doing that for about a, a two and a half months. And then this last week, he stepped into a sabbatical season. And uh, we're excited for him. We are praying for him. We want to encourage you to continue to pray for him. And uh, as a, an executive team, we voted this in a couple of years ago, this idea of sabbatical and kind of lining up with God's biblical rhythms of life and how we do our work. And so as, as a team, we voted that in. And so Chad is leading the way for us. He's kind of showing us how to do it. And, uh, and right now he's offline, he's quiet. So we're not really sure how he's doing it. But we want to encourage you to continue to pray for him. Pray in, in this idea that God promises in this uh, being obedient to this kind of uh, activity that God will move in that sabbatical season, in that obedience, to do great things in us and through us. So we're praying that for Pastor Chad and for his wife, for Rebecca. And, and then we're here. We're in the summer, the midst of summer. We're, we haven't actually hit the hottest month of the year yet. Amazingly, that starts this next week as we move into August. We're going to step into some of the hottest days of the year, but we also have some great activities planned, so we want to invite you on August 19th, so put that down on your calendar, Friday, August 19th, we're going to do, we're breaking out the grills, we're going to do a Shabbat in the park, and we're going to cook lots of great meat, and we're going to picnic together, and we're going to welcome the Shabbat in together, and we want you to be a part of it. It's going to be a great, great time together, so Friday, August 19th, it'll be a chance to be outside where it's hopefully a little bit cool, and maybe inside we're going to enjoy some time together and just be a community doing Shabbat together. Uh, here this summer we've been doing a series we're calling Living Wisdom. As we examine wisdom and what God's given to us to be able to live a productive life, to be able to live a life that's meaningful and productive and, and uh, giving fruit to the Lord. And uh, we said that we don't naturally come with an understanding, first of all, of who we are and how we tick. We don't automatically know how to do who we are. And at the same time, we don't understand how to do life well, to do it productively, to be God-centered, to be successful in all the different areas that come with this human experience. So God has graciously given us the instruction manual. He's given us this book to know how to do life and given us uh, the Bible in a way that uh, allows us to see what successful living looks like. 
And then just like uh, maybe an instruction manual that would, you would find with uh, equipment or a new TV or a new computer, it has this section inside where it condenses all of the important instructions down into a couple of pages so that you get the most important things right there in that spot. And so God gives us inside of this instruction book, the book of Proverbs, where God answers and addresses these most crucial parts of our life, those trickiest areas where we continue to <clears throat> struggle and we're not sure <clears throat> excuse me, how to do these different parts of life. And just like an equipment uh, operation manual, it describes in there, in the book of Proverbs, it describes who we are and what we're like, how we tick on the inside and, and what are the best practices for a healthy life and for a good living life and a life that produces fruit. Since the beginning of the series a few weeks ago, we've looked at wisdom, what it is, and how we find it and where it is. At the same time, we've looked at the difference between wisdom and foolishness. And then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this idea of uh, this core relationship that makes up all of our lives, uh, that parent-child relationship, and the wisdom that God gives to us to be successful in this crucial relationship. So it impacts all of us. Uh, it may not be uh, apparent for all of us. We may not all be parents, but we certainly are all children. And how do we relate to that relationship with our parents? And so we've looked at that. We, uh, a couple weeks ago, looked at the power tool of our mouth, the words that... Uh, God's allowed us to use, and uh, this again impacts each one of our lives because we've all been given this tool from the Lord. And then last week, Pastor Ray looked at our influence as leaders, and again, this impacts each and every one of our lives because we all are leading in the different relationships, influencing in the different relationships that we have, and the wisdom of guarding our hearts. If you've missed any of those weeks, we encourage you to go back and check them out online, kkcj.org, go to our archives. There are some great lessons there. As we continue to go forward, we're going to be looking at the balanced life that God gives to us to live, that, that life that's free of extremes, not too extreme this way, not too extreme that way, a, a balanced life. We're also going to be looking at uh, sex, at sexuality as the, the, the reality that we're all sexual beings, that God's created us that way. And in fact, this again will be one of those topics that in, it, it speaks to all of us because that's the way that we've been created. So we wanted to give you a heads up on August 7th. Parents, we're going to be looking at sex and what does the book of Proverbs say about our sexual lives. Specifically, we're going to be looking at sex in marriage uh, and it's applicable to all of us, whether we're single or married, because we're sexual beings. So we want to encourage you to make your decision now whether you're going to be here or not. Pastor Ray, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that you should be doing that message on... No. <laughs> and, and actually, on August 7th, we're either going to have a full house because of the topic, or we're going to have a, a three people. It'll be you and me and... <laughs> we're just wanting to give you that heads up and uh, we don't want to shy away from that topic Proverbs spends lots of time talking about it and giving us some great wisdom and so we want to take some time to dive in there we're also going to be looking at self-control and patience 
versus having a quick temper and being angry. The wisdom that God gives us to maintain our wealth, our finances, and, and how do we do that well in a way that honors him and so on. So lots of great topics that are coming up for the rest of the summer. Tonight, the topic that we're diving into is a great topic. When I initially picked it and I started to kind of look at it, I thought, oh, this is really, it's kind of lame. I mean, it's so plain. What are we going to talk about? How much wisdom does it take to be able to do this uh, activity in our lives? It's just, it's kind of straightforward. And I don't understand why God would even want us to have wisdom on this topic. Then I began to do the research and and I found that of all of the activities that we do in our lifetime, this activity comes in number two. Number two, and we spend the most amount of time in our lives doing this, the second most amount of time. Does anybody know what the first activity is in our lives that we spend the most amount of time doing? Sleeping. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? In a 70-year in a life, we will spend... 23 and a half years, roughly, sleeping. Think about that for a second. That's pretty amazing, sleeping. Now, here's some other fun statistics. In a 70-year-old life, most men will spend two years of their lives exercising. Women will spend one year of their life exercising. Now, I'm pretty sure the researchers did not add up the amount of exercise that women put into taking care of us guys, Right? <laughs> So that one year of exercising, taking care of us guys is at least 10 years. <laughs> In the 70 years of life, we will spend four years being sick, being ill. We're going to spend six years of our lives eating and drinking, taking care of our, life, our, our, our body. And then here's a, an amazing one. We will spend five years of our life waiting waiting in line at the store, waiting in line at the post office, waiting at a stoplight, waiting for our wives to get ready to go, oh, did I say that? <laughs> I was just thinking that. I'd... Now, here's an amazing one. We're going to spend nine years, nine of 70. You have 60 left, 61. Nine years watching television. That's more years watching television than eating and drinking. Something's wrong there. Talking on the telephone. Men will spend four years. Women will spend five and a half years. It doesn't include surfing and internet and the other things, other ways we use our phones. And then this last one is amazing to me. We will spend one whole year of our life looking for things that we've lost. Looking for our keys, looking for our dog, looking for our kids, looking for our our minds, who knows what we're gonna lose, but we will spend an entire year looking for those things that we've lost. But in all the ways that we spend time, and there's several ways that that plays out, the thing that we spend the second most amount of time in our lives is working. The average person will spend 20 years of their life, if they live to 70 years old, they're gonna spend 20 years of their life working, just working. If we're spending that much time doing this one activity, I think it's important for us to spend a little bit of time to figure out and to understand why is work a part of our lives? Did 
God actually create work? Or was work just a, a byproduct of the fall, part of the curse? And, and what is God's wisdom for working? How, how do we work well, work wisely? And what do we get out of it? After 20 years of life working, what do we get out of this thing called work? And when you talk about work, many of us just go, we just see work as that dirty four-letter word that uh, messes up our lives. It's that necessary evil, the toil and the grind of the hard labor, the nine to five that drains us, that steals from us, that takes everything and leaves us tired and empty. But even as we're saying that, we need to understand that that is the concept, the description, the narrative of the world around us when it comes to work. And unfortunately, that narrative has been adopted by the cultures around the world. Work is a bad thing. Work is what steals life from you. And we as believers have adopted that same idea and concept and philosophy in our own understanding, in our own lives. So where did work come from? Often, people quote the book of Genesis. Mankind has been cursed with work. By the sweat of your brow, your labor will be hard. But let's listen to what God actually says in Genesis chapter 3. God cursed, he said, God cursed is the ground because of you, because of your sin. Cursed is the ground, not cursed is work. Cursed is the ground. I'm not cursing you with work. Through painful toil you will eat your food for all the days of your life. The ground will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you'll eat the plants of the field, but by the sweat of your brow you'll eat your food. So at the time of the fall, work was already being done by mankind before the fall happened. Man was already working. A part of man's experience was working in the garden of God. Naming the animals, tending the garden, producing the fruit from the garden, cultivating it and developing it. In fact, man had already been given God's mandate calling to take care of God's creation, to manage it, to develop it, develop God's earth. This is how it went down. Chapter 1 of Genesis, God says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Let's, let's make him like us. Let's make him a worker like we are so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and over the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image, that image of a, a worker, of a creator. In the image of God, he, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them, Genesis tells us, and I'm putting in parentheses, with work. And he said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God said to him, I'll give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, every tree that has fruits with seed in it. This is going to be your food to maintain and to take care of the beasts of the earth. All the birds of the sky, every creature on the ground, this is yours to take care of, to manage, to, to rule over, to develop. 
And so it was. So we see that God first imagined work, and he designed it, and he created it with us in mind. And then God, as a blessing to mankind, invited us with his mandate, with his instructions, and an invitation to join him in his work, to join him, the creator of the world that we live in, in his work, in this world that we live in, in his holy world-developing, world-building, world-improving, world-expanding, life-giving labor. Paul describes it this way in Ephesians 4. He says, for we are God's creation. We're his handiwork created in Messiah Yeshua to do good works. That's why he created us. He didn't create us to sit around and play harps. He didn't create us to sit around and read our Bibles, to pray. He didn't create us to do street evangelism. He created us to do good works, which, create, which includes some of those things we just said, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So he had the idea, created the work with us in mind, and then blessed us with the work. The message version says it this way, he creates each of us by Messiah Yeshua to join him in the work that he does. We've been invited to join God in his work, to partner with him. The good work that he's gotten ready for us to do. Work that we had better be doing. So our first key point tonight is that God's Genesis mandate was God's blessing of mankind with an invitation to partner with him, with God. To work with God in developing, building, ruling over, improving God's world and earth. So work already existed. Man was already busy in the garden, and then the fall took place. And the work that already existed, just like the childbearing for women that already existed, now became harder. By the sweat of your brows, it's going to be difficult to get your food. You can still get it, but it isn't going to be easy. And that's what's changed. That's what's new. <clears throat> But it's important for us to see here that God's enemy, just like everything else that God's given to us to bless us, the, the relationships that we have, our, our parents, our marriages, our children, our spouses, our friendships, the financial blessings that he gives to us, sexuality we'll see in a couple of weeks, our physical bodies, the food that he gives to us, everything that he gives to us to bless us with, the enemy comes in and distorts it or lies to us about it. And this is what he's done with work. He's lied to us that this most holy calling of man to join God in his sacred work of maintaining, developing, ruling over the world. The enemy tells us instead that it's, it's, it's a curse, it's evil. It will steal from you and drain you. It keeps you from what really matters in life those pleasures of vacationing and, and resting and chilling out and time spent relaxing, because that's where real life is found, says the enemy. 
That narrative of the world, that lie of the enemy is designed to steal something from us. See, the enemy wants to steal, and we need to hear this tonight, the real life that God has given us in this thing called work. The real life that's there for the taking if we'll dive in with the right attitude. In this context, then, these verses from Proverbs take on a whole different meaning of life-giving meaning, and, and, and we see God's amazing design for work and how work works in our lives. Listen to these verses. Proverbs 12 tells us, from the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things. The work of their hands brings them reward. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly, richly supplied. Whoever loves pleasure, Proverbs tells us, will be poor, will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. That's a proverb for our generation. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. Do you see someone who's skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. Those who work their land will have abundant food. But those who chase fantasies have no sense. Diligent hands will rule, Proverbs tells us, but laziness ends in forced labor. Nothing worse than forced labor. All hard work brings a profit. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. The great the cravings, excuse me, the cravings of the sluggard. Listen to this. The cravings of the sluggard. The sluggard's not without cravings. The cravings of the sluggard will be the death of him because he refuses to work. All day long he craves for more. But the righteous give without sparing. They give and they give and they give without sparing. You see, God's original intention for work in our lives was a way for God to give us his life. To give life to us as we work with him, as we work like he works, as we become like him. But this reality has been distorted. This, the, the popular thoughts, the lies of the enemy, the popular uh, theories of mankind describe work as a, a disgraceful thing that it's a curse, that only poor people, bad people have to work, that it's simply a, a way to make money, to exist, to be able to pay for my food and my clothing and my house. It's just, it's a necessary evil. I have to work. I don't have an option. It's a burden that we each have to carry. And for us as believers, these ideas and others have mixed to lead us to have this separation of of work in our minds between work and faith. Work is something that I do outside of 
my relationship with God. It's something that I do outside of church. It's secular. It's without faith, without spirituality. It's without any eternal purpose or design. It's without any holiness connected to it in any way. And yet, the truth is exactly the opposite. That work is faith. This is where faith is used. It's where faith grows. Work is designed with God in mind to be in relationship with him. Work is the main way that we worship God, our creator. Our work is how we worship our God, not just in the job that we have, but in being a part of what God is doing in the earth. And doing it in such a way, doing our work with an an attitude of heart that connects to our hands. And how we live out our, our faith in him, in that role, in that position, in that place where we work. There isn't such thing then as secular work and spiritual holy work. Those are man-made distinctions. Nowhere in God's word does God separate the two. Work is holy. The work of our hands is holy. We're going to see that in this video in just a second. The work is what allows us to worship God. You probably haven't heard that very many times, and certainly when you step into your job, you don't automatically feel that. This is what the Lord has designed it to be in our lives as a way for us where we spend the second most amount of our time in our lives to use it to worship him. What an amazing concept. So our key point number two tonight is this idea. One of the primary ways, the primary ways that we worship God with our lives is with this thing called work. And we do it using the gifts and talents, his gifts and talents that he's given to us and trusted into our lives. It's the primary way that we worship our God. It isn't just on Sunday night. It's on Monday morning. And it's all throughout the week in all of the things that we put our hands to do. Now, the, the book of Proverbs gives us a, a pretty potent picture. Say that three times fast. Pretty potent picture of what the attitude behind work can look like. And again, just like everything else in Proverbs, it gives us one of two choices. There isn't multiple choices for us to choose from. It portrays work and how we approach it and our attitudes one way or the other, just like we see wisdom or folly. It's one or the other. It's righteousness or wickedness. It's how we use our words to give life, how we use our words to give death. It's one or the other choice. And with work, it's exactly the same. We see that with work and the attitude behind it, we can have the diligent heart attitude or we can have a slothful heart attitude. Solomon specifies and examines not just the work that's being done, but how do we do our work? What's the attitude of our hearts as we step in and do this work? And again, we can't just partially choose one way one day and partially choose one avenue the next day. We can't be slothful some days and then be hard, diligent workers another day. It doesn't work like that. We choose and we land in one path or the other. So Proverbs 24 gives us this beautiful picture. Uh, Maybe it's not beautiful. It's an interesting picture of the slothful, of the sluggard. Go ahead and turn there if you have your Bibles. Proverbs chapter 24, 
And Solomon's describing for us something that he sees, something that he experiences in the lesson that he learns from it. And he says, I, I went past the field of a sluggard. I'm verse 34, 33, 34. I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. Solomon says, I applied my heart to what I observed, and I learned a lesson from it. And this is what I saw. This is the lesson. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. It's important as we begin to dive into this that Solomon isn't saying that sleep is bad or that slumber is bad. He's not saying that resting sometimes is bad and crossing our hands and resting. What he's trying to show us here is that it's a little sleep followed by a little slumber, followed by a little folding of the hands to rest, followed by a little bit more sleep, followed by a little bit more folding of the hands so that we get this picture that this guy is just sleeping all the time. That's what's happening. He's not actually doing anything with his life. So we get to see that the, the sluggard, the slothful, has a field, has a vineyard. He, he owns it. It belongs to him. And, and because it's his, he has a responsibility over it. However, the sluggard refuses to do anything with his field, with his vineyard. He refuses to do the work that it requires. He's spending his time doing other things. And then Proverbs, through all of these different verses that are going to be up here in, in front of us, is described this way. He's irresponsible and he's lazy. He, he stays in bed all the time. And he's idle in all of his doings. In fact, he's indifferent about his idleness. He, he doesn't do anything and he doesn't really care or notice that he's not doing anything. He continually makes excuses to himself and to others why he can't do the work and why the work can't get done. In his own eyes, the sluggard is wise. He's wiser than all the rest of the people that are around him. He feels a little bit more superior to those that are around him. And because of this, those that work with him, he's irritating to them. Those that employ him, they find him unreliable and frustrating continually. And regardless of the consequences that he's experienced because of the choices that he's making in his lifestyle, the poverty that he's experiencing, the, the unsatisfying uh, uh, parts of life that he's experienced, he continues to choose it instead. This lifestyle of laziness, regularly blaming others and blaming his circumstances around him and, and never taking any responsibility for what's happening in his own life. He wants the good things. He actually believes that rightfully they belong to him, but he just won't work to get them and, and instead blames everybody else and everything else for why they're not happening in his life because he's not willing to do anything to achieve and to receive them. The sluggard loves his bed. He loves sleep. In fact, he's really, what he's really looking for in life is pleasure and comfort Ease of all things. It's that pleasant life, that laid-back, chill life. In contrast to this, Solomon paints for us a picture 
of the diligent, hardworking, prudent person. And again, he just describes not necessarily his work as much as he describes for us the attitude behind his work, his heart attitude behind his work. And there's lots of verses that describe this for us, but <clears throat> Solomon describes this best in just a couple of verses. Says he describes for us the ant. So in Proverbs 6, he says to the sluggard, go to the ant. Go watch the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and, and be wise. It has no commander, no ruler, no overseer, and yet it stores up its provisions for summer and gathers its food at harvest. Proverbs 30, Solomon says there's four things on the earth that are small, and yet they're extremely wise. And ants make the top of the list. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. And so let's take Solomon's advice. Let's go to the ants. Let's look at what they do, their work ethic, the way they live, and, and maybe we can gain some wisdom here tonight. By doing this, I believe we're going to be able to see the heart or the attitude behind the diligent, prudent, wise worker. When we look at the ant, what we actually see, in fact, is that he has several things working against him, not in his favor. The, the ant is the smallest of all the workers. He's uh, not being able to, I think we have a picture of it behind there. One of our friends sent that to us this week. We're, they're, they're the smallest of workers. They're, they're, the world around them is huge. Their food often is way bigger than them. And, and yet they're always working to gather it, even though it's outsized them physically and outstrength them. Ants, interestingly, only live 45 to 60 days. I'm pretty convinced in my house they live all year long. <laughs> but according to our study, they only live 45 to 60 days. And in all of those days, they're working, supplying their food for the summer. Despite his many challenges, this smallest worker isn't limited. He isn't inhibited by his size, by the size of the job. He isn't overwhelmed. He's not phased. He continues at it. He keep, continues to keep going, and he doesn't give up. When tasks are big, when they're hard, when they're long. And then on top of that, he doesn't need somebody to tell him how to do it or what to do. He just does it from inside. He's motivated internally. He works wisely, saving part of his production for an unknown future. He doesn't spend his day sleeping. It doesn't mean he doesn't sleep. It just means he doesn't spend his day sleeping. His day isn't full of midday siestas every day of the week. He doesn't work just based on need. Think about that for a second. How often do we just work or the slugger just works because there's the need? I need to cover that base. So I'm going to go out and make a, enough just to cover that base. The ant is persistent in his work. He works even when there is surplus. And he doesn't quit his work. Now, let, let, let's look at this. A, a pile of ants, not just one ant, but a pile of ants, because that's how they work. They work together. 
a pile of ants actually creates great accomplishments. Working together in unity, they team up together and they do what seems to be the impossible, like move that piece of bread that we were just looking at. In some ways, everything is against this little guy, and yet they accomplish great, great tasks. Versus the sluggard who's been given everything and just can't seem to bring his hand to his mouth to eat. Can't figure out how to make his hands work. Has an excuse for every single situation in his life. Ants do what seems impossible. They never give up. They keep working. And this is the picture that Proverbs wants us to see what diligent, prudent work looks like. Proverbs allows us to see both sides for a reason. We get to see kind of the hard attitude of both the the diligent, prudent worker and the slothful sluggard. And as we're looking at these descriptions, we can take some lessons that we can apply in our own hearts and in our own lives. One of the main lessons, I believe, is this, that each of us has been given a vineyard. Uh, Each of us has been given a a field, a piece of property that we are responsible, a piece of God's garden that he's given responsibility to us to maintain, to nurture, to be responsible over. And here's the thing. There aren't some people that have a vineyard and others that don't. We all have a part of God's garden as a part of that good work that he planned in advance for us to do. We've all been given some kind of vineyard, something that God wants us to maintain and develop and grow. In the parable of the talents, these are the talents that God has given to each person with this expectation that each person will work that vineyard, work that field, work that piece of property and that that uh, responsibility in a way that produces for him, for the master, for the king. And, and what that parable of the talents is actually about, it, it, it is about uh, how much they make. This one makes this much, this much, this much. But what, what we really see there is the heart behind the work. The, the one that held everything back is that slothful, lazy worker who just decided to do nothing with what God had given him. And as we look at this parable then, as we look at these descriptions, we have to ask ourselves the questions. This is what Proverbs is doing. It's lining us up to ask ourselves the question, what is my vineyard? What has God made me responsible for? What am I supposed to be Uh, influencing with my leadership, like we heard last week? What is it that I'm supposed to be maintaining and nurturing and, and ruling over? Is it my family, my job? Maybe some of us in this room tonight, maybe you don't even know what that vineyard is, that thing that you're responsible. Maybe you're at a season in your life, you're just in college, you're, you're just trying to figure out maybe what, what is that thing that I'm supposed to do, what I'm responsible for. But what we need to understand is that we all have that vineyard, which leads us to the next and even harder question, what does my vineyard look like? 
what's going on in my vineyard today? Are the vines growing? Are there grapes on it? Are there weeds, thistles growing in the field? Or have I cleaned those all up? What does the wall look like? Is it falling down in places? How does my vineyard look? How am I doing in my vineyard? And in, in asking these questions, not only do we get a chance to see what's happening in the vineyard, but what we're really seeing, what Proverbs wants us to see, is what is the heart motivation behind our attitude towards the work that God's given us to do? And as we look at that, as we look at our vineyard, and as we begin to examine what's going on in our, my own vineyard, I'm going to see what my heart attitude is. Now, here, here's the thing that I want us to capture tonight. The work isn't the thing that's good or bad. It's the motivation behind it. Does that make sense? So that we know that whether, whatever our job is, whatever our responsibility is, whatever that vineyard is, it's not a good or a bad thing. All of us have a vineyard, but what's the motivation behind the work that we're doing? Why are we doing it? Are we just doing it to make lots of money? Are we just doing it because we have to, to pay the bills? Are we just doing it because everybody else around us does it? Because my parents told me that I had to do it? Am I doing it just because someday I want to be rich and famous? Maybe I'm not doing it. Maybe I can't even imagine, but I'm sure... This proverb speaks to some of us in this room or online. Maybe you're not maintaining the, the vineyard that God gave you. Maybe it's just, I'd rather have that laid-back life. This is the thing. We need to make a decision. What are we going to do with that vineyard that God's given to us? And I'm convinced that if we dive into it with this perspective that we've just talked about tonight, we're going to find life. If you don't have life in your job, if your job is a drudgery, if you hate getting up in the morning, there's a chance that your attitude is wrong about your work. Even if you're a hard worker, even if you go in and you put in eight hours and you're, you're doing the grind, but you hate it, Something's wrong with your attitude. You're, you're missing what the, the life that God wants us to have, that God designed for us to have. It's exactly opposite of what the world says. Work is not something that's going to give you life. Yet God is redeeming us. He's redeeming his world with work and through work. Work has always been the place where God is going to give us his life and give the world around us his life. So I'm gonna just challenge us tonight with those ideas and those concepts that we would ask those hard, hard questions. How's my vineyard doing? What's going on in my vineyard? Is it producing fruit? What kind of fruit is it producing? Is God honored in it? Or is work just this ah, pain that I just, oh, someday I'm not gonna to have to work. Someday. We're rich. Somebody else is going to do all the work. You know, the other day, probably shouldn't say this, but our, our neighbors across the street, very, very wealthy, 
that live across the street from us. And I was watching, they have all the family visiting from the United States, they're in there. And I was watching, and they don't make their own food. Somebody's coming and making their food for them. I was like, what would that be like? <laughs> wow, they don't even make their own food. That's not what I'm talking about tonight. Probably shouldn't have gone there. Let's stand. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And let's, let's, uh, let's pray into this for just a couple of moments. As we finish our time together tonight, uh, some of our prayer team will be down here in the front. We want to invite you. If you want to pray into anything in your life, these guys are going to be down here in the front. They'll join together with you in prayer and uh, pray into those things. And let's finish our time together. Worship. We can go ahead and stand, guys. Let's don't be lazy. <laughs> this is hard work standing up, man. All right, God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this instruction manual that shows us how to live successfully for you. And Lord, in this area, in work, I think, I, I just see that it needs to be redeemed in our thinking. Redeem our thinking, God, and how we view this area of worship that you've given to us. God, I haven't been worshiping you with my work. But I want to. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as your people to, to flip this coin over. Be able to start approaching this core part of who we are. The way we spend our time, our life. And worship you with our work. Not wait till Sunday. Not wait, wait till worship service, but to to worship you with our work. Show us how to do it. And we pray that you'd be praised in magnificent, extraordinary, amazing ways through our work. In Yeshua's name we pray.